Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. I'm Cameron. Join us as we read and reflect, react rather, to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time we read about Melkor's release from prison. He was in chains. He hid his evil intentions from both the Valar and the Eldar and patiently sowed division in the hearts of the Noldor. Today, we begin chapter seven of the Quintus Silmarillion, which is found on page 67 of the second edition. Chapter seven of the Silmarils and the unrest of the Noldor. In that time were made those things that afterwards were most renowned of all the works of the elves. For Feanor, being come to his full might, was filled with a new thought. Or it may be that some shadow of foreknowledge came to him of the doom that drawn near, and he pondered how the light of the trees, the glory of the blessed realm, might be preserved imperishable. Then he began a long and secret labor, and he summoned all his lore and his power and his subtle skill and at the end of all, he made the Silmarils. As three great jewels they were in form, but not until the end, when Feanor shall return, who perished ere the sun was made, and sits now in the halls of awaiting, and comes no more among his kin. Not until the sun passes and the moon falls shall it be known of what substance they were made. Like the crystal of diamonds it appeared, and yet was more strong than adamant, so that no violence could mar it or break it with the king, within the kingdom of Arda. Yet that crystal was to the Silmarils, but as is the body to the children of Iluvatar, the house of its inner fire, that is within it and yet in all parts of it, and is its life. And the inner fire of the Silmarils, Feanor made of the blended light of the trees of Valinor, which lives in them yet, though the trees have long withered and shine no more. Therefore, even in the darkness of the deepest treasury, the Silmarils of their own radiance shone like the stars of Varda, and yet as they were indeed living things, they rejoiced in light and received it and gave it back in hues more marvelous than before. All who dwelt in Amman were filled with wonder and delight at the work of Feanor. And Varda hallowed the Silmarils so that thereafter no mortal flesh, nor hands unclean, nor anything of evil will might touch them, but it was scorched and withered, and Mandos foretold that the fates of Arda, earth, sea, and air lay locked within them. The heart of Feanor was fast bound to these things that he himself had made. Then Melkor lusted for the Silmarils, and the very memory of their radiance was a gnawing fire in his heart. From that time forth, inflamed by this desire, he sought ever more eagerly how he should destroy Feanor 
and end the friendship of the Valar and the elves. But he disassembled his purposes with cunning, and nothing of his malice could yet be seen in the semblance that he wore. Long was he at work, and slow at first, and barren was his labour. But he that sows lies in the end shall not lack of a harvest, and soon he may rest from toil indeed while others reap and sow in his stead. Ever Melkor found some ears that would heed him, and tongues that would enlarge what they had heard, and his lies passed from friend to friend, as secrets of which the knowledge proves the teller wise. Bitterly did the Noldor atone for the folly of their open ears in the days that followed after. When he saw that many leaned towards him, Melkor would often walk among them, and amid his fair words others were woven, so subtly that many who heard them believed in recollection that they arose from their own thought. Visions he would conjure in their hearts of the mighty realms that they could have ruled at their own will, in power and freedom in the east, and then whispers went abroad that the Valar had brought the Eldar to Amman because of their jealousy, fearing that the beauty of the Quendi and the Maker's power that Iluvatar bequeathed to them would grow too great for the Valar to govern, as the elves waxed and spread over the white, wide lands of the world. In those days, moreover, though the Valar knew indeed of the coming of men that were to be, the elves as yet knew naught of it, for Manway had not revealed it to them. But Melkor spoke to them in the secret of mortal men, seeing how the silence of the Valar might be twisted to evil. Little he knew yet concerning men, for engrossed in his own thought in the music, he had paid small heed to the third theme of Iluvatar. But now the whisper went among the elves that Manway held them captive, so that men might come and supplant them in the kingdoms of Middle-earth, for the Valar saw that they might more easily sway this short-lived and weaker race, defrauding the elves of the inheritance of Iluvatar. Small truth was there in this, and little have the Valar ever prevailed to sway the wills of men, but many of the Noldor believed, or half-believed, the evil words. Thus ere the Valar were aware, the peace of Valinor was poisoned, the Noldor began to murmur against them, and many became filled with pride, forgetting how much of what they had and knew came from them in gift from the Valar. Fiercest burned the new flame of desire for the freedom and wider realms in the eager heart of Feanor, and Melkor laughed in his secrecy, for to that mark lies his lies had been addressed hating Feanor above all, and lusting ever for the Silmarils. But these he was not suffered to approach, for though at great feasts Feanor would wear them, blazing on his brow at other times they were guarded close, locked in the deep chambers of his hoard in Tyrion. For Feanor began to love the Silmarils with a greedy love, 
and grudged the sight of them to all, save his father and his seven sons. He seldom remembered now that the light within them was not his own. High princes were Feanor and Fingolfin, the elder sons of Finway, honored by all in Amman, but now they grew proud and jealous, each of his rights and his possessions. Then Melkor sent new lies abroad in Eldamar, and whispers came to Feanor that Fingolfin and his sons were plotting to usurp the leadership of Finway and of the elder line of Feanor, and to supplant them by the leave of the Valar. For the Valar were ill-pleased that the Silmarils lay in Tyrion and were not committed to their keeping. But to Fingolfin and Finfarfin it was said, Beware, small love has the proud son of Miriel ever had for the children of Indies. Now that he has become great and he has his father in his hand, it will not be long before he drives you forth from Tuna. And when Melkor saw that these lies were smoldering, and that pride and anger were awake among the Noldor, he spoke to them concerning weapons. And in that time the Noldor began the smithying of swords and axes and spears. Shields also they made, displaying the tokens of many houses and kindreds that feed one another, and these only they wore abroad. And of other weapons they did not speak, for each believed that he alone had received the warning. And Feanor made a secret forge, of which not even Melkor was aware. And there he tempered fell swords for himself and for his sons, and made tall helms with plumes of red. Bitterly did Matan rue the day when he taught to the husband of Nerdanel all the lore of metalwork that he had learned of Aule. Thus, with lies and evil whisperings and false counsel, Melkor kindled the hearts of the Noldor to strife, and of their quarrels came at length the end of the high days of Valinor and the evening of its ancient glory. For Feanor now began openly to speak words of rebellion against the Valar, crying out aloud that he would depart from Valinor back to the world without and would deliver the Noldor from thraldom if they would follow him. That ends our reading. Let's do a little quick recap of what we just read. Lots of pretty cool stuff happening now. Feanor at last creates uh, the Silmarils, the three great jewels infused with the blended light of the two, two trees. Um, blessed by Varda, they could not be touched by evil, unclean, or mortal hands. And Mandos decreed that the fate of Arda lay with the Silmarils. We see Melkor lusting after the Silmarils, and he manages to convince... Um, people with his poisonous deceptions and they take effect on the Noldor in whom pride, anger and mistrust arose and we also hear them creating weapons for the first time or I think for the first time um, and having divisions there which I thought was cool it looked like the golden age of um, 
uh, the Noldos coming to a swift end as uh, jealousy and greed start uh, becoming a part of them. What did you guys think? Incredible. It's amazing. Um, at that last part you mentioned about the, you know, the day coming to an end, it does seem to be pretty literal that I, I think in our previous reading, um, when Melkor, you know, uh, sues for pardon, it, it was at the noontime of the day of the, the waning of the trees. And then now it says, you know, of their quarrels came at length the end of the high days of Valinor and the evening of its ancient glory. So it does seem to imply, at least from the reading, that the the plan of Melkor took from the noontime of the age to the evening. Um, so he, he was spending a long time uh, in his whisperings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he pretty much um, used the the tool of inception on the Noldor. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. he, he like, I mean, that's part of his subtle cunning, right? He just says these little things and they start to think it was, it, it came from their own thoughts. It, they stay, they start to yeah, believe it. He doesn't that. give them the idea. He gives them everything they need to get right. to the idea. Right. Right. It's very deceptive and scary. You know, like we're all susceptible to that in a sense. And, uh, it's just one of those things that makes you question reality, you know, like is what I'm perceiving. Yeah. yeah. Truly Gaslighting. real. Yeah. yeah it is. <laughs> it's interesting that the Silmarils are tied in with the, you know, history of Middle Earth and like the fate of Middle Earth is bound to them. Mm-hmm. But the first, like the way that Arda or Amon, I should say, that Amon is kind of starting to unravel is because of simple deception. It's because of words. It's not because of a fight. It's because of gossip and and words, you know, implying and tearing down. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, did you hear how Melkor was gossiping? Oh, my gosh. He's such a gossiper. You heard him do that, didn't you, in the reading? Tell everyone. (laughs) Um. This so book in is the so trashy. I don't know why we're reading this. <laughs> so uh, going back to Feanor creating them, it's uh-huh. um, what do you think about his motives for creating them? It's in the first paragraph, um, and it doesn't really say what he's thinking. Like, is it is it aroused from fear, or is it actually just prudence? You know, is he creating the Silmarils from a, a place of prudence or a place of hmm. fear? I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, possibly a little of both, you know. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It's interesting it seems to give a few reasons, right? That yeah. it could be. It mentions, you know, it's one of these things that sometimes Tolkien does in this book, where he kind of, because it's kind of like a history, he's just laying out here are some possible reasons for why this thing happened, you know. Hmm. So he mentions maybe it may be that some shadow of foreknowledge came to him, um, but that's not even definitively said. It's just that. He knew that the, perhaps he just knew that the trees weren't going to be there forever. And they were such a beautiful thing. It was worth trying to preserve them in some way. And I mean, I, that kind of makes me think of the, like the question, should he have created them? I mm. mean, I mean, they didn't have cameras, so he couldn't take a picture of the trees before <laughs> they died, but they probably have artists and, 
Um, what what's the significance of the trees? Like, when the trees die, what does that mean for the elves? Does it mean they die too? Like it like it's implied in the Rings of Power Amazon TV show. Oh, good question. Uh, they're tied to the earth, but in a broader sense, like, and this is something I don't think I, maybe it says it in here, maybe we've discussed it, but I remember reading that in the, uh, one of the appendices in the Lord of the Rings that I have, where it's saying the elves are particularly tied to the earth. So in the time of the third age and the Lord of the Rings, that's why they're all departing and they're all kind of sad because the, the mm. world is just in decline at that point until it just fades and they fade with it. But this is mm. still kind of like early in the world you know it's the it's kind of the end of this time the like the evening of this time of the blessed realm or whatever it is but uh, this is a good question like should he have done this <laughs> i don't know yeah because these deceptions are happening regardless that's melkor's plan they're happening because he wants the silmarils and, mm. and he but wants it, to use also he wants to use he wants to become powerful again and he mm -hmm. wants you know the the factions to fight amongst themselves so he can rise up on top but it does make me wonder are the Silmarils just like now that they're here he kind of i mean he does lust after them yes but he knows that that's they're a powerful object and there's something that he can kind of wield to carry out his purposes because he does really hate the elves above all things and feanor the most mm-hmm Maybe it's kind it's of both. It's kind of Feanor circular, isn't has, it? Like it kind of stokes well. yeah. his hate for him. But then Feanor has also a little bit of a kind of turning towards. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I. Sorry, it, it kind of echoes a little bit of the preciousness of the ring to Gollum, to me. Uh, I know I love echoing Gollum and Smeagol narratives in in uh, here, but he he like he grow he grows, he he began to love the Silmarils with a greedy love and grudged the sight of them to all, save mm. to his father and his seven sons. Um, so there's a beginning of something darkening in yeah. Feanor's heart. We know, we know that he's at, he's at his like peak. He's like peak virility with his seven children that he just pops out like that. And peak might, because it says he's being come to his full might. Um, and it's now like, it's almost with the waxing of the elves across the land is now it's now the tide is turning now there's a mm. waning that's happening and the waning is happening to the elves it's also happening to their like the noon time of their day and it's also happening to feanor because he's because mm -hmm. this is the first sight that we've really seen him kind of start to get uh greedy right i, I don't think in the last readings he was we didn't receive much of his faults, did we, or did we? No, was, not really. It was, it was more his neutral. Dad. He's like kind of like this wild burning fire, okay. but it was not. He was wild, pointed at bad, anything bad. Yeah. So we're seeing what is we're seeing what the fire is becoming. Like yeah. we've seen the good side of it, the powerful side of it, the life giving side of fire, um, and now we're starting to see the other side of his passion. Mm -hmm. And it's stoked by Melkor, right? And there's this line in here. It sounds like an ancient proverb or something. It says, um, mm -mm. he who sows lies in the end shall not lack of a harvest. And soon 
he may rest from toil indeed while others reap and sow in his stead. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, when I read that, it was like, it was hard to like wrap my head about. Which page it. is that? That's it's on, on six, top of 68. Yeah. And that's just the reality of these kinds of divisions that, right, that he's sowing. It's kind of what we're talking about, this inception, where all he's doing is subtly suggesting things that are taking root in the hearts of the Noldor. And then mm. he just sits back and watches as they uh, yeah, the, bear gross fruit. After that, it says some tongues enlarge what they have heard. Oh, yeah. So like that, the idea of sowing seeds of lies that grow and become bigger to the point where he, he doesn't need to sow anymore. He can rest, sit back and watch the dissension. That's so interesting. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Ever, it's really cool. Have you heard the term information hazard? Have you heard that term before? No, no, but I know that the internet's the information highway. I was, I taught that. That's I was close that to what it means yeah. in the nineties. Should I use the internet to find the answer? Yeah, do it. Uh, ask, ask you. I can tell you. I can tell you. All unless you want to ignore. Well, you Great might not want to know though. This is like one of those things that you can't. Unknow. What's it called? Information um, oh. hazard. No, it's not like that. Um, <laughs> it's the idea that there's information that you can know that by knowing it, it becomes dangerous. If you didn't oh, know it, it wouldn't be yeah. dangerous. But once you know it, you are subjected to some kind of danger. Yeah, I've heard of that. Um, and that's like kind of game. what... I guess, yeah, something like the game. <laughs> um, Everybody Cam- lost the Cameron, game. do you hate the game? <laughs> no, I, I, I win the game uh, oh, whenever okay. I play it. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're Aero Iluvatar, right? So, <laughs> uh, you're, you're not bound by the rules of the game. But yeah, that, the that's game kind of how... Uh, if you think about the game, you lose the game. That's yeah. the game. That's the game, yeah. Okay. That's the information Just for people who don't know who are listening. All, amongst our listeners, all the across game. the world, there are people who, when, when you said that, Dan, were like... I just lost the game. Yeah, but it's information <laughs> hazard. It proves the point. It, right, exactly. And that's kind of what Melkor does, right? It's it, it's like false knowledge, but it's building this like dangerous thing. If if they didn't have that knowledge to begin with, because part of what he's doing too, he's he's manipulating the Valar's silence about man mm-hmm. and other things like that. Like if they just waited to know when they're supposed to know things or when it's revealed to them in the right time, they wouldn't be dealing with some of this stuff. But Melkor is jumping the gun and playing that to his advantage. Hmm. Oh, Cameron, (laughs) I remember you saying when we were reading uh, the music of the Ainur about how Melkor's music was like, he's just like banging, you know, like (laughs) annoyingly. So like, just listen to me, like I'm making all the noise. And it's funny that it mentions he didn't even really know much about man because he was so engrossed in his own music. Yeah, he kind of like, like so he wasn't he paying attention to the third theme Bongo or whatever he's playing. Bongo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, that's like the least thing that I was imagining him playing. He, he really I imagine like him like, of, you know, you know, in the movie, uh, Mad Max, the guy on the electric guitar on the back. Oh, yeah. I imagine yeah. it like that. Just like droning, like, kind of skillful and but loud and just like obnoxious and terrifying what i I imagine is that he's playing a trombone but the wrong way like he's (laughs) screaming into the opposite end of it or something my what i picture is uh now we're going off the rails really but he's like a taiko drummer but 
he has like 40 arms and he's doing all the drums, but instead of rhythmically, it's just like he's just smashing every drum. He just wants Isn't to there a Sesame Street character that. who basically is that? Is there? Isn't there a Sesame Street character that plays the drums? Or am I thinking Muppets? <laughs> Muppets. Okay. Oh, yeah, and he plays the drums too. like that. It's yeah, but like, he's good. Ah! He's, isn't he a good drummer? Or I don't remember. I, I, I guess for a Muppet. <laughs> Pretty good for a Muppet, you know. One thumb up. <laughs> he has trouble articulating his wrist, so he can't yeah. really drum that well. <laughs> but here's here's what I want to say about the Silmarils uh, that, that you mentioned earlier. I don't think they're a bad thing, like it was bad to make them, because the way Tolkien describes them, it all seems good. Like, I can't find a flaw. They seem like they are they not only contain the light of the trees, but they're more robust than the trees. Like, they, they cannot be destroyed by any tool in, in Arda. And so I don't, I don't see anything in the text that would... Yeah, assume that they're bad. Like the like the ring of power is a bad thing, like made for an evil purpose. Yeah, and I guess my question my question is they're not bad, but it's kind of like the Pandora's box thing. Um like Pandora's box isn't bad in of itself, right? But the opening of it is. Mm-hmm. Um But wasn't and- it bad for him to to make something at the height of his skill that was the greatest thing that was made in the, in the earth, you know, even if it causes people to, you know, be greedy after it. Yeah. And we don't know his intentions. And if he didn't make it, then we wouldn't have a story. So (laughs) there you go. End of the book. (laughs) And he decided not to make these jewels that would have been beautiful. The end. The end. (laughs) I do that. Reminds me of something we read last time, I think, um, where I think uh, it's it said that um, you know the the children of Indus, his brother Indus, those are his other brothers, his half brothers, and yeah. their children and stuff. It says um, they were great and glorious, and if they had not lived, the history of the Eldar would have been diminished. So there is something about this where, I don't know, Tolkien's kind of suggesting, yes, there are some evil things that are associated with this, but they don't necessarily outweigh the good things. And I think that might be how it is with the Silmarils. Like, they are objectively great and beautiful, and they come from the the peak of Feanor's skill. So in themselves, they are good. Mm-hmm. And Luck. even though bad things follow, I don't think that was the intent of, or I, I don't know, the way I oh, read yeah. it, I don't think that was Fagel's oh, yeah. intent for, but it just seemed like, you know, Ma- yeah. Mando says the doom of the elves is tied to them forever. G.K. Chesterton says anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Obviously, he made this, but the badly side of it is his ability to kind of uh, be a steward over them, right? He mm. he's doing that pretty badly because now mm-hmm. he's thinking that yeah. he is the source of the light from it. He's kind of forgetting um, that it doesn't come from him. That he only um, adapted the light, like he didn't make the yeah. light. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so last thing I want to talk about before we close up, and then if you guys want to talk about something instead, that's cool. I, the weapons. I'm yeah, excited. I was just bring that up. 
I'm excited about the Secret Forge. I want to hear <laughs> about that more. I hope we get to hear more about that. I don't remember if we do. Um, but yes, what are your thoughts on the well, My thought is, I wonder if this was the invention of weapons. Because uh, hmm. so the lies were smoldering. You know, Melkor sees that there, there's pride and anger. And it says, he spoke to them concerning weapons. So it's almost like, hey, you know those tools you use to write? and carve and craft yeah and so what if you made a similar tool that could be used to kill or to to stop or to wound or to threaten you know and uh and it says the nolder began the smithing of swords and axes and spears so it's interesting that like maybe this line this moment was the invention of weapons and war yeah i think i even mentioned at the beginning like that's the first time we hear about weapons am i am i and and smithying in to a larger degree because i think Tolkien might have weapons yeah oh yeah that's true (laughs) that's right Tolkien fought with his fists Oh, okay. But I do think the other Valar had weapons because they went to war with Melkor and all well, what, what were they, evil creatures. When it says they went to war, does that mean they they have their own smithy? Maybe they were throwing... Ma- well, Ali is kind of their... You know, he's like the craftsman. But Maybe it was rap battles or some kind of yeah, intellectual maybe. intellectual kind of warring. Like blindfolded chess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or as we learned from in the Rings of Power, maybe one of the females went and just was able to destroy a bunch of orcs and cave trolls and Melkor single-handedly with really cool flips. And mm. um, I don't... Because that happens in Rings of Power. I don't Galadriel. know if Tolkien mentions the flips, though. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, you can read accurate. between the lines. Depending on how many flips there were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was wondering, well, with the weapons and stuff, you know, it's kind of funny because of how deceived they really are. They only show shields to each other. They They don't ever reveal to the their opponents <laughs> that they have swords. But there's got to be a point where they realize, like, we have shields because we think they have weapons. And they have shields, so that must yeah. mean they think we have weapons, and we do have weapons. So they probably also have weapons, you know? And they, But yeah, they just so, never really come to that. He must have told them all separately, like, hey, there's a thing called a weapon. And then went to the other house and pulled them. Interesting. But shields were also, like, um, utilized as, like, glorified Skateboard. badges. Right, yes. it's yes. like your tartan. Right. It like it shows your tribal, like yeah. so they're like showing them off, like mine's much bigger than yours, and and it has like cooler like designs on it and whatnot. Um, now you yeah. now you've gone and offended our Scottish audience by saying things and make it sound like they're savage. now you've now you now you've offended the Irish because they do that too. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Irish. <laughs> Here's my shield. <laughs> Cameron's offended and so he is healed. I'm showing to the camera. <laughs> uh, I have a shield. Here it is. If England lose, this is bad, but that's my shield. There we go. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> cool. Great. Well, if you guys enjoyed um our episode today, please don't forget to leave us three Silmarils out of three Silmarils. It's and... hilarious. Finally. People Wait. understand what we mean. Oh, oh yeah, because yes, you now know the joke. Cameron's been waiting to reveal oh the joke to you and now Best you can jokes laugh. Jokes are the ones that like are a slow burn for yeah. like weeks. Yeah, And then yeah. you get the punchline like six weeks later. 
15 weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> you better be it wrong laughing. for the first couple weeks, too. I kept saying like three Silmarillions out of three. And... <laughs> three, three editions of Silmarillion out of three. Okay, and follow us everywhere before the fellowship and send any comments or questions to before the fellowship at gmail.com. Join us next week as we read the greatest story you've never heard. The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs>